Thank you, Dave, and uh, good evening, Regen. Hey, it's a great day, uh, great to be with you. In fact, I feel kind of at home. Uh, my wife and our four kids uh, did a lot of our growing together and growing up in Richmond, so your kind of little sister city just uh, north here. And uh, in the 90s, we lived there, and actually I was pastoring a church, so kind of feels good to be back in the inner Bay Area. We live out in the East Bay Area, so it's uh, good to be back in the real Bay Area and to be with you tonight. Um, a fourth grade teacher in Ventura, down in Southern California, had a, an assignment that she wanted to give her students, and she gave it to them. And the assignment was she was going to start with a famous saying and then ask them to complete it. And just on a lark, it wasn't any big assignment, but she just wanted to see what would happen. So she gave the, the beginning of some statements, passed it out, and then some of the responses that she got back, uh, I'll give you now. One is, a bird in the hand. You're familiar with this one? So a bird in the hand. And what's one of the answers they gave? A bird in the hand is a real mess. A real mess. Makes sense. Uh, the grass is always greener. The grass is always greener when you put manure on it. All right. We had a kid who was a little into the farming thing there, apparently. Uh, next one, a rolling stone, a rolling stone plays the guitar. All right, culturally aware there. A journey of a thousand miles starts with a blister. <laughs> uh, here's my favorite. See, uh, when we were in Richmond uh, with my wife and four kids, we were in a pretty small house with one bathroom. So this one rings home for me. Early to bed and early to rise is the first in the bathroom. <laughs> Very true in our family. And last one I'll share with you tonight. Uh, opportunity only knocks. Opportunity only knocks when the doorbell is broken. <laughs> well, I'm glad that uh, Albert uh, rang the doorbell or gave me the opportunity uh, to come and share with you both this morning and this evening. And it's my pleasure to be with you. And I want to talk to you about someone who had a very special spiritual opportunity in the New Testament. So if you can grab a Bible from the pew or uh, the one you brought with you, we're going to be looking in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, at a guy who had a very special spiritual opportunity. And in fact, his special spiritual opportunity kind of goes in three phases as the story unfolds, at least the part of the story we're looking at tonight. And we're going to look at these three phases or parts of this process and then try to see if there's some reflection or some parts of that that we can reflect today or that we can act out today. So we're going to read first in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 29. And uh, then I'll pray, give a little bit of an overview, do some background, and then we'll run into it. Got it? Here we go. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, there's our main character. Uh, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. I'm reading from the NIV, so if it's a little different from your ESV or King James or whatever you've got, that's the reason. Uh, so he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Let's pray. Father, I'd ask that you would open your word to us. Your word is alive and the spirit in us is alive. I pray that there would be a great connection tonight uh, between the spirit in us and the word we're reading. And I pray that this would help us to come alive to those things you would call us to. 
Thank you that Regen, as a church, is alive in this community and uh, reaching into the world. And I pray that we'll be able to rejoice in some of this process that is taking place even today. And then I pray we would have an opportunity to look at this very personally to see if we are personally engaged in this process. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The process we're going to look at tonight, and I think you even got a little handout. If you like handouts, you can fill in the blanks. Uh, If you don't like handouts, you can at least follow along and see how close we're coming to the end. That's always helpful. Uh, But in either case, the the process, the three-step process that we're looking at today is connect, ignite, transform. Connect, ignite, transform. Uh, And the story picks up with a guy named Philip. And uh, we're going to see here that Philip is connecting. And we're going to give you even another memory device tonight. We're going to have hand motions with this. So you ready? Okay, so what's a great hand motion for connection? Oh, I like that. Connection right there. Good answer. Connect. Can you do this with me? This is very difficult. I know some of you are UC Berkeley uh, uh, graduates and students, so try this one. Okay, connect. And then we'll pick up the others later. But connect. Connecting God's people with God's purposes or God's plans. In the story here, Philip is God's person. In this story, it's Philip is God's person, and he's going to connect with God's purposes or plan. What is God's plan? Well, let's go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That's a familiar-sounding reference probably to many of you. But in Acts 1, 8, we see that Jesus gives, in an overarching statement, his plan or his purpose, and it really is an outline for the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says to his disciples, this is after his death and resurrection and just before his ascension, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And by that I think he means, don't try this without the Holy Spirit. Don't try this at home. Don't try this on your own. Only when the Holy Spirit is with you are you to try this or are you to try to exercise this this mission. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. What is our mission as believers or those who are Jesus' followers? Jesus was telling his disciples or his followers, you are to be witnesses. And then he spells it out. You are to be witnesses in Jerusalem. That's kind of the home base for the church. You are to be my witnesses in Judea. That's the surrounding area. And then in Samaria... And there we have a break, a cultural break, between the Jews and the Samaritans. Samaritans in that day uh, were, uh, were, were blended, a blended race. They were part Gentile, part Jew. They had come together, and so uh, genetically, they were a blended race, and culturally, they were a blended race. Jesus, when he was on earth, he said, the, the Jews had nothing to do with the Gentiles, yet he met with a a Samaritan woman at the, at the well and spoke with her and gave open invitation to her to, to follow him and to have others follow him who were Samaritans. But here he's telling his disciples that you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, also to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. This was kind of an outline of the, the book of Acts because in Acts 1 through 7, if you were to read it and you were to figure out where, where is this happening, where is this happening, where is this happening, from chapters 1 through 7, it's in Jerusalem. As you break into chapter 8, we see that persecution has hit the church in chapter 7, and now the disciples are starting to disperse, and they're going to, well, let's read. In chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, 
Verse 1 says, And Saul was there giving approval to his death. Stephen has just been killed as a martyr for the faith. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. That's the home base. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Here God's purposes or plans are being lived out. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Verse 4 picks up, and here we, we, we learn about Philip. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip... He had earlier been uh, designated as a deacon in the early church, but Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. Here he had followed that plan, not just in Jerusalem. Jesus wasn't just a, a God or a Savior or a Lord for the Jews. He was also a, a Savior for the Samaritans, those half-Jewish and half-Gentile. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that Samaritan city. Here Philip had been commissioned to go to, I suppose in those days, those in Jerusalem may have said he was commissioned to Samaria. <laughs> they didn't like the Samaritans. But Philip and Jesus knew that the the gospel had to break through the biases and barriers of culture and race because Jesus was a God for not just the Jews, but also the Samaritans. But the story doesn't end there. Uh, As we go through the rest of chapter 8, we see that there's a significant work that's happening in Samaria and, and it's almost like a, an evangelistic crusade. A, a Billy Graham or a Luis Palau crusade breaks out in Samaria. And then we pick up with our story in verse 26. The connection of Philip yet again with God's purposes. Now an angel of the Lord said, now I'm back in verse 26, uh, chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now before I go any further, I just got to pause here and say... God's ways almost always surprise me. I mean, just thinking of it as I would think of it, I like to plan things. I like to help churches. In fact, my role with Converge, or our, our network of churches, our association of churches, is to help start and strengthen churches. I love planning and plotting and, and working with people to, to set out timelines and tasks. But God's ways almost always surprise me. Here is Philip uh, having an amazing time in this evangelistic crusade in Samaria. And God says, I'm going to pull you out. I'm going to call you to do something different. That surprises me. I don't know how you are predicting what God will do. You you better at it than I am? Are you better at seeing, well, I know exactly how God's going to handle that problem. And if this person's sick, you know, I think this or that. And it's surprising to me. It amazes me. More often than not, when we even start churches or plant churches, the ones that I think have the greatest potential, have all the the resourcing and everything, sometimes they kind of fall flat or have the stumbling start or a slow start. And then this church over here that hardly has anything going for it, God just touches it, he moves it, and he does his thing. Well, here we go. Philip. Just God's man connecting with God's purposes, obeying him as he goes, 
As soon as God speaks, he seems to respond. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south of the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. He's on that desert road. That, this is where the serious travelers go. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch. We'll pause there. An Ethiopian eunuch. Being an Ethiopian, this, this man was most certainly uh, a Gentile, almost certainly a black African who had traveled 200 miles to go up to Jerusalem and now was headed back to his home in North Africa. He was an Ethiopian from Ethiopia, a Gentile. He was a eunuch. A eunuch in this day could mean one of two things, or maybe both at times. A eunuch physically was one who had been castrated. He was usually one who was in, dealt with royalty and in some positions uh, where he needed to be trusted and wasn't trusted. Uh, they castrated these individuals when they were dealing with women. But it may have been that he was physically altered. It may have been that he just had a position of a eunuch where he had a very high role. And indeed, he had at least that, but he may have been physically altered too. Here he is, an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace. She was the queen of the Ethiopians. So here's a man of great stature, a Gentile, but a man of great stature going back to his homeland. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Interesting. This man, this Gentile from North Africa, somehow knew of the God of the Old Testament, and and he wanted to go and worship. This was probably an annual trek that he took, where he would go and sacrifice an animal for his sins. But understand, because he was a Gentile, when he went up to the temple in Jerusalem, when he went to sacrifice an animal, he couldn't go into the temple. He could go into one certain court that was the court of the Gentiles the Gentiles and women. (laughs) And he could go to that far, and then he would have to hand over his sacrificial animal to a priest who would then take it into the temple and sacrifice it for him. He, He couldn't go there himself. In fact, if he was actually a physical eunuch and had been physically altered, he couldn't even go into the court of the Gentiles. He wouldn't even get that close. So this was a man who went all the way to Jerusalem to make this sacrifice. Even though he couldn't enter very close to the temple itself, He had made that trip and that journey. He he valued this God of the Old Testament. He was a believing man. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Now, as we read that, it's like, well, okay, he's just sitting in his chariot reading scriptures. But we assume that in those days like today, maybe he and many others had you know, five Bibles on their shelves at home. (laughs) Not the case at all. In New Testament times, for anyone to have any portion of Scripture that they owned was quite rare. This speaks to how wealthy this man was. When he went to Jerusalem, it's almost certain again that he purchased a portion or a scroll that had some of Isaiah on it. And as he purchased that scroll, a very precious piece of, uh, of literature, He purchased that, and he was taking it back with him. And as he's riding back on his chariot, he's unrolling the scroll, and he's reading through it. He's a man who is hungry for spiritual things. He's on his way home, sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Again, Philip connecting with God's purposes. He knows that he's being called to do something. He had been used in Samaria, and now he's being used to at least approach this chariot out in the desert. The Spirit told Philip. Interesting, in verse 29 it says, The Spirit told Philip this, 
And in verse 26, it says, Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, That. Quick question before we move on to our next segment is, Does God still speak today? Very clearly, as God wanted to connect with his people in New Testament times, he spoke to them. My question for you tonight is, does God still speak today? Is he still trying to connect with his people and let us know his purposes for us? Does he still speak today? Maybe another way to approach this is uh, to do a little uh, example. Now, uh, in my home, when uh, I'm relaxing, often I'm sitting in my living room. Sometimes I have my TV on and my remote control. I'm sitting in my most comfortable chair, and I'm watching a very important game. I'm really into very important games. Now, now understand, in, in my man mind, a very important game may be uh, a ping-pong tournament from 1968. Uh, but it's something at that moment, it's very important because I'm engaged with it, it's competition, and I'm just, I got to see this. And then my wife, Sandy, might walk in and she starts talking to me, sharing very important information, asking me questions, and, and I engage with her uh, at very intellectual level where I respond things like, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, whatever. <laughs> now, Quick question, we'll do a quick survey. How many of you here think I'm listening to my wife? Uh, maybe, okay. Usually it's just the newlyweds. But <laughs> Actually, most all of that information that Sandy just shared with me didn't really go all the way in or at least stick. I'll be held responsible for it, please understand, because <laughs> I did answer. But the question was, was I listening? You see... In life today, we can ask the question, is God still speaking today? But I think the better question is, are we listening? You see, we have so many important things in front of us. And I don't know what you would call an important thing. It may be something silly, like a 1968 ping-pong tournament. But at the moment, it seems so important that we are not listening to God. In fact, we can come to church services and and we can say, "Uh uh-huh. We can raise our hands. We can tap our feet. We can respond in communion, but we may not be listening to God. We can, even in our own homes, open our Bibles, scan the words of Scripture, and still not be listening. We may say, "Uh uh-huh, okay, whatever, but are we really listening? God does still speak today. The bigger question is, are we listening? Because he speaks through his word. He speaks through creation. He can speak through the voices of others at times. He can speak directly. There's no, no way that God is, uh, is hindered from speaking. Any way he chooses to speak, he still can speak. Are we listening? You see, if we're going to connect with God's purposes, we need to be listening to him. Listening to him so that we can connect. Let's go on in the story. Philip had connected with God. Well, what's that next phase in the process? Connect. If, if we connect with God's purposes as God's people, once we do that, then we're in a place where we can ignite. Ignite. And that would be igniting a spiritual movement. And that's what happens in this story. We connect with God's purposes so that it'll ignite spiritual movement. Oh, we need a hand motion for this, don't we? Okay, if we have connection, a very good, this is my favorite uh, hand motion right here. Ignite would be 
Oh, look at that one. Pretty cool, huh? That's like, that's like poof. You, you know the uh, hot water heaters, if you have the old style like I have? When it calls for hot water and there's ignition and the gas is, is there and you get the ignition and you have poof. <laughs> and you have that. That's what happens here in the next section of this story. There is spiritual ignition. Someone gets lit on fire spiritually. It goes like this. Verse uh, 30 goes on. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like the sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Backing up to the first part of this section, uh, this man is riding a chariot. Now, when you imagine the chariot, don't imagine the Ben-Hur kind of chariot. The Ben-Hur kind of chariot, you know, there are two, two people maybe standing in there with a whip, and they've got this fast horse in front of them. This is the Mercedes limousine version of the chariot. Remember, this is a very wealthy man traveling a long ways. He has a servant driving, and it probably has four, six, eight wheels on this chariot. Certainly covered, so he wouldn't have to be under the sun of the blazing sun of the desert. And, and it's very plush in that day. And as he's riding along, Philip runs up next to him and hears him reading. And this is what he's reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. And he wonders, who is this that, the, that Isaiah is writing about? Is Isaiah writing about himself, or is Isaiah writing, re, writing about someone else? Well, if you know this passage of Scripture, it's Isaiah chapter 53, and it's the, the suffering servant. And it's a description, a, a very vivid description of the suffering that Christ went through on earth and especially on the cross. And he asked the question, who is he, who is he writing about? Who is he talking about? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news. Good news is another way of saying the gospel. The good news about Jesus. And here he gets to describe to him the gospel. Here he gets to describe to him that this lamb that he's reading about here was actually the lamb that had been slain for the sins of all people. Just as you, Mr. Ethiopian, have been up to Jerusalem to offer a, a lamb for the sacrifice for your sins... One has been sacrificed. The Son of God has been sacrificed for your sins and for the sins of all mankind once for all. Jesus had become the ultimate and perfect sacrifice for sin so that worshipers could be cleansed from their sin. There was no more need to go back to Jerusalem. There was no more need to, to stay outside the temple. Rather, he could experience the full rights and privileges of a child of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. I can only imagine what the Ethiopian must have been experiencing as he heard these words. It seems very apparent as we read through the rest of the story that he responds in faith and that, poof, ignition happens. A fire is lit in his heart. The spirit meets with his spirit and the truth rings true. And he becomes a now and forever forgiven 
and free follower of Jesus. The celebration must have been pretty big. In this, uh, this uh, Mercedes version of the limousine, I, I suppose they popped out the, uh, the confetti and the celebration was pretty strong. The minibar was open. <laughs> and they just had a great time there traveling along the road, celebrating this new life that this gentleman had experienced because he now knew the good news about Jesus. That's the news we gather every Sunday to celebrate. This is the good news we look forward to celebrating again next Sunday, Palm Sunday, and then the following Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. This is the highest uh, celebration you could ever have on earth or in heaven. The celebration of Christ and what he's done for us. Ignition. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Philip to, to watch this man go through this spiritual movement? Have you ever been there? Have you ever had the opportunity to observe someone going through this spiritual movement to where they were coming and crossing the line of faith. I don't know that there's much more thrilling thing on earth. I I have a three-step strategy I'd like to suggest to you. It's taken from this passage. Do you want to have that experience if you haven't in the past, or even if you have in the past, what are some three steps you can take to move people toward spiritual movement on their own? Now, ultimately, this is the Spirit's work, the Holy Spirit's work. This is like the Acts 1-8 thing. You can't do this on your own. <laughs> but if you do this in the power of the Spirit, here's three, three L's that might help you move people toward the line of faith. Or if they're already crossed the line of faith, move them to further spiritual movement. The first L is listen. Notice when Philip runs up to the chariot, what does he do first? Does he tell the guy that he's... He needs to read this, you know, four spiritual laws or the steps to peace with God, or does he interject his ideas and thoughts? Actually, early on, what does he do? He listens. He runs up to the chariot and he listens. The next thing I think he does is he loved the Ethiopian. He loved him. When the Ethiopian invited him to come up in his chariot going the way he wanted to go, Philip joined him in his journey. Sometimes we need to join people in their journey by listening to them. That's a first step. But then by loving them and and walking with them on their journey, that can be a pretty powerful thing. Sandy and I have a next-door neighbor, or two next-door neighbors, a couple, Anthony and Stacy. They were just married two weeks ago. They've been uh, together for six or seven years. Uh, And they're probably in their mid-20s. And a neat couple, great, great to try to get to know them, but we're actually trying to exercise. We've been listening to them for some time. We're going to have dinner with them. We took some of their garbage to the dump the other day, and we're just trying to interact with them, and we're trying to love them at this stage. We've been listening for a while, Uh, and now we're going to continue loving them. And then finally, as God gives you the opportunity, the third L is let them know what you know about Christ. Isn't that what a witness is? A witness is you just tell somebody what you know. If you observe a, an accident on the street, you're considered a witness. If you observe that, then you just go and you report what you know. Well, in the same way as a Christian, we report what we know. It's not something we have to hammer in on anybody. We don't have to prove anything to anybody. We just tell others what we know. After we've listened to them, after we've loved them, then we just let them know what we know about Christ. Now, if we know some of the apologetics behind it, that can be helpful. But mostly we're letting them know what we've experienced and what God's done in our lives. Well, Philip here has connected with God's purposes. He's seen ignition take place in the life of this Ethiopian eunuch. 
And finally, we're going to see a movement of transformation. Connect, ignite, transformation. This is the voila moment. (laughs) And it's a change in someone's heart and life and direction. Verse 36 says, And as they traveled along the road, they came came to some water. And the eunuch said, not Philip. Philip wasn't saying, it's time for you. The eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And to me, I think this is a loaded question. The Ethiopian eunuch is asking, Am I acceptable? Am I acceptable in this community of faith you're talking about? When I would go to Jerusalem, I know I was accepted at some level, but not fully. But now that, and they knew in that time that if you had a baptism, if you experienced baptism, that was being identified with a new community. And as he was coming to the water, he said, Can I be one who would be fully accepted into the community through baptism? Interesting, in the passage, Philip doesn't give a verbal answer, but he gives a very strong answer. Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And here's another head-scratcher for me. (laughs) Uh, What about the discipleship of this uh, Ethiopian eunuch and well, God has his ways again. Uh, he's going to have his timing and his plan, and it doesn't always go according to what I think should happen, but Philip gets plucked out again and moved somewhere else entirely. But this man has had a transformation of heart and life, and he says, I need to identify with this new community. And he, has, he is baptized. Church history tells us that um, this Ethiopian eunuch uh, did return to his home. And he continued to be a person of political influence, but he also became a man of great spiritual influence. Uh, Church history tells us that this man was the first Gentile missionary to Africa. So he let that transformation and the voila experience then bring him to the point where he connected with God's purposes. And that Acts 1-8 experience to the ends of the earth, it was beginning to unfold through the Ethiopian eunuch. Connect, ignite, transform. Isn't that a cool process? That's a process that I believe Regen is involved in every day of the week. As you get involved with art, as you get involved with uh, the uh, martial arts, as as you're involved with all these various things in the community and, and your home groups and the different things, you are involved in this process of connecting with God's purposes seeing spiritual life being ignited and then seeing transformation take place. I am thankful for you. Uh, Dave mentioned earlier that we're the landlords here. Well, for many years, for uh, 126 years, there's been a Lakeside Baptist Church. Actually, the first 20-some years, I guess 30-some years of the church's life, it was called the Swedish Baptist Church because that's that was their roots. They were Swedish and the, the, all the minutes and things from years ago, they were all written in Swedish. But at some point, they switched to English and became Lakeside Baptist Church and have been serving in this community now for 126 years. But because of some decisions that they've made over the last 20 years or so, they have no longer been reaching into the community. They've no longer been igniting or connecting with God's purposes at the level that uh, would 
make them sustainable. But I personally am so thankful that you as a, a church, a living church, are now on this corner doing that work of connecting, igniting, and transforming. We have a, a network of about 70 churches. One of the churches in Fresno, I'll tell you about, and this I'll, with this I'll close, but that church is uh, called the Rock Church, and it's uh, in an urban area, and Ricardo Garcia is the pastor, and he's connecting with God and his purposes in Fresno. Uh, he and his uh, congregation noticed that the Little League in, in their area of Fresno was shut down. And they went and asked, well, what happened to Little League in our area? And the city official said, well, nobody wants to come to your area and be a coach for one thing, and the finances are kind of tight, so we just put all our funds over this, in this other area. Well, Ricardo said, well, that doesn't seem quite right. Uh, let me check with some people around in our community and see if we can get Little League going. And Ricardo and some of his church leaders became the coaches. They were able to get some fundraising going in other parts of the town to, to pour into that community, and they had Little League going on. Uh, we, there's a, Ricardo was invited to go to the city council and actually got an award with some others uh, for getting the Little League going in this part of town that is underserved. In addition to that, they were meeting at a, a elementary school for a while, Weber Elementary. And at Weber Elementary, the principal from that school came to Ricardo and said, Ricardo, uh, the funds have been cut. We cannot do after-school programs anymore. Can your church put on after-school programs for our school? Ricardo said, well, that's kind of a big ask. Let me go to my people and, and see what we can come up with. I'm not sure if we can pull that off. Well, he talked to some of his folks, and some of his folks said, well, I know something called Child Evangelism Fellowship. They provide curriculum, and I think they tell Bible stories and play games and do crafts. Uh, so they went and learned about that, came up with a plan that they thought they could do, and then went back to the principal and said, uh, Mr. Principal, we can do this, but here's what we could provide. What we would provide is we would play games, do crafts, and we would tell a Bible story. Would you want that kind of after-school program? And the principal said, we would welcome that in our neighborhood. Now, that's incredible to me. When I was in school in California, this was some years ago, Jesus got kicked out of school. And here was a principal telling Ricardo Garcia and his congregation, can your church come back and minister to our kids in the community and teach child evangelism fellowship at our invitation on our facility property after school. And they've been doing that for about a year and a half now. Connect. Ignite. We don't know all the ignitions that will happen as they're touching the lives of children, as they're touching the lives of families. But they, like you, are in the mix here of connecting, igniting, and seeing transformation happen. I'm thankful for how God has used Regen. I'm thankful for God, how God is using Rock Church, Restoration Outreach Christian Center in Fresno, and so many other churches that we are partnering with, and it's a pleasure to partner and work with you. It's hard when partnerships don't work. Uh, a while back, a friend of mine who was in college, uh, his name's Kevin, he was in a speech class, and they were put on teams. And uh, his team was not doing their part, and he was doing all the work. Ever been on a team like that? <laughs> Where it's just like, uh, this is not working. Everyone else is expecting me to do it. And he, he threw up on his Facebook status that uh, I'm the only one doing the work. No one else is helping. This stinks. Ever felt like that? Well, I think that God, in so many ways, as he looks at Regen 
And when he looks at Rock Church and many other churches who are making a difference and who are connecting, igniting, and transforming, I think God would put on his Facebook, by the way, I don't think he has a Facebook, but he would put on his Facebook, I so appreciate when my people connect with my purposes and see spiritual ignition take place that transforms and then starts the cycle over and over again. You are part of that process. Are you personally part of that process? Your church is. Restoration Outreach Community Church is. But are you part of that process? Are you reaching out and touching people and seeing them make spiritual movement? I think God's challenge to us would be on a personal level to be listening, loving, letting others know what we know as we have opportunity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the things you want to teach us. Thank you for the opportunities you give us. I thank you for even bringing us here tonight uh, to reflect on uh, your word, but also to reflect on your movement in our lives. I thank you that you're now giving us opportunity to uh, set things aside and to truly worship you with our hearts and our minds and to experience you uh, through communion. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.